When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we are, Dan Cilio, National Football Show. We are rolling towards the start of the NFL season, are we not? The Dallas Cowboys report to training camp tomorrow. They report to training camp tomorrow, man. Getting ready for the Hall of Fame game. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Are you watching this NBA playoffs? I've been watching it a little bit. Won't lie to you, man. I hope Giannis and the Bucks end up taking out the Suns. And they win a championship. Giannis looks like he could be the best player on the planet now. Good for him. Here's a guy that stays in a small market. Does it need to have, you know, Space Jam 2? Holy cow. By the way, I will say this about LeBron James and his Space Jam 2. But it was the number one movie over the weekend. I'll never watch it. Oh, for the record, I did watch MJ Space Jam. And and I know LeBron James hating. Okay, whatever. It's a kid's movie, man. How can you rip a kid's movie? I could care less about the reviews. Oh, well, you know, it's not Space Jam 1. Okay. Do you really think The Godfather 2 is really Godfather 1? I mean, look, man, sequels usually aren't in the same conversation. Okay? Or like Hangover, right? Sequels are sometimes decent. I'm not saying Godfather 2 is not decent because it is. I go, but man, come on. Godfather 1? What are you, crazy, man? Sequels? So you got Space Jam, dude, but people are all over the internet. Oh, LeBron, never watch that thing. That thing sucks. Have you seen it? It's a kid's movie, man. Pipe down a little bit. It's all good. Just pipe down a little bit. All right. Let's move into football here. You realize two weeks we're going to find out how this Aaron Rodgers saga ends. We're going to find out how this thing ends here. Most people think that, well, he's going to show up to training camp and he's going to play for the Packers in this 2021 season. And this will pretty much probably be his last year in Green Bay. I, I, I see that. Do I see him pulling the ripcord on the 2021 season? Why? Has he given any indication that he wasn't going to play? Or was it just really media hype where people were putting narratives out there well, you know, he's really aggravated. Watch this. Hey, I'm really aggravated with my boss, but I'm not going to show up to work the next day. Come on, man. You can be aggravated with your boss. You can be aggravated with people in the room. But you got a job to do, man. You got 52 other dudes in that locker room that you've got to try to win a championship with. 
And think of this for a second. Again, I've said this to you before. The difference between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady is being played out right in front of you here. Brady's concerned about his dudes in the locker room and getting ready to repeat as champions. And Aaron Rodgers is playing the fiddle. He's playing the fiddle on a beach in Hawaii. Oh, little tiny Tim. Oh, I hope the Packers like me. Oh, wow. Will anybody? I mean, really? I watch that dude playing like the ukulele. And I'm like, I mean, really? Uh, I don't. It, it, it's a quarterback move. Maybe I'm coming from a DT mentality here, but I see this guy playing a ukulele or a fiddle. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm having a fun time with my friend. I'm like, dude, what is that? I mean, talk about the dorkiest thing you can do. Sitting around, did you see that one video clip of him? He's sitting around a fireside with his buddies and his friends playing like a guitar. Oh, and from what I understand, self-taught. <laughs> okay. If I'm sitting around a fireside somewhere, at least have women. <laughs> I mean, if I'm in Hawaii, at least be out of luau. Right? I mean, Come on, bro. What are you doing, man? You look like a dork. Then again, he did go to Cal, so I'm assuming that, you know, maybe that's the kind of player to have roll out of that place. You see Jared Goff? That guy looks like he belongs working at Office Depot, right? <laughs> I mean, Aaron Rodgers, man. This guy's – you know what makes Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers is the same thing that makes Tiger Woods Tiger. You know, when Tiger opens his mouth, you do this. Oh, God, he's such a goofball, and he's such a dork, okay? He's such a dork, but he's the greatest golfer of all time, and it's fun watching him. So you watch him, but then he opens his mouth, and you're like, just shut up, dude. You hurt yourself when you speak. Yeah, I got to activate my glutes. Uh, what's that? But You know, the glutes. You activate your glutes. Are you talking about your ass cheek muscles? The glutes, you activate them. Oh, man. <laughs> Another guy you just do. Really? <laughs> okay. Really? All right. So we're going to find out about Rodgers here in two weeks. Like I said, man. And we, we've, we've said this. If he decides not to play, he'll never play again. You think he's really going to want to set up shop somewhere else to try to win a championship? Where are you going to go? to try to win a championship somewhere else. Man, Brady struck gold. He went to Tampa, and that team hadn't been in the postseason in 12 years. 12 years they hadn't been in the postseason. You think all of a sudden people just went, hey, I'm going to go to Tampa and make that thing a Super Bowl team. There's only one guy that could have done that, and the guy did it. You think Rodgers is going to roll into someplace? Hey, you know how everybody thought like when you build these – super teams in the NBA. So you put James Harden, you put Kevin Durant, and you put Kyrie Irvin on the Brooklyn Nets. What'd that get you? That's a super team, is it not? Three of the top 10 best players in the NBA on one basketball team. And those guys did not make it to the NBA finals, let alone making it to a conference finals. Guys, you, you sat there and you saw the whole thing play out. And you're like, that thing doesn't always work out like that. Okay, you got to have team chemistry. And those guys never had it because they never played together really enough times to really find some solidarity in their play. They never really got a chance to put it all together. 
you can have all the greatest talent on the planet. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into a championship. So where, where Rodgers goes, I don't know. New Orleans, that'd be a place. Because I don't believe Jameis Winston and Tyson Hill, okay, the quarterback that everyone looks at and goes, man, this guy, whoa, I'll tell you, he, he, he's quite a player. I'm like, yeah, but is he a quarterback? I think he's a gadget guy. I don't really think that guy is really, you know, somebody you want to build a franchise around. He's a gadget dude. And then Crab Legs Winston, I don't know. You think that guy really? This guy's a turnover machine. But they do have great talent around all those players, man. Kamara's great. Thomas is great. They got great football players. And that defense is damn good. That'd be the only place where I see Aaron Rodgers. Stop with that Denver thing, man. Even Peyton Manning's like, I don't know, man. I don't see the Denver Broncos pulling the ripcord on that to try to go after Aaron Rodgers next year. So I don't know. I think he shows up, and I think he plays. All right, let's move on here. Oh, by the way, our boy Jason Cole, bottom of the hour. As we get ready for the Hall of Fame game, we'll talk with our friend, our resident insider. We'll get his thoughts as we prepare. Maybe. He has a different opinion. Plus, we always want to pimp Jason's book here, too, about John Elway. Him and Elway are boys, so we'll talk to him. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. So it looks like tomorrow Joe Biden's going to be inviting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the White House to celebrate their incredible victory. I wonder if Tom Brady shows up. Remember, Brady's a Trump dude. Okay? And he didn't show up to the last, you know, time that they were celebrating when he was in New England, when he won Super Bowl six or his sixth, okay? He didn't show up because he didn't want to make it about, you know, the politics and the friendship between him and Trump and Bob Kraft. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see if Tom Brady shows up to this thing. Is Brady going to go into a Biden White House? And by the way, I'll hit on that in a minute too. Um. Yeah, so that'll be one dynamic. And now you have football players and people and other celebrities now showing up to the White House because Trump's not in the White House. Let me put this in full perspective. Have you ever been to the White House and had your team honored? I have. Okay, have you? It's one of the greatest honors that you can possibly have is to be celebrated by your country and asked to go to the White House. I don't give a rat's ass who's behind the Resolute Desk. I could care less. That has nothing to do with him. You invited us. Remember I said this? Us. Never again will that group ever be together in that moment in time on what you guys accomplished. It's about celebrating your guys as a unit. It's not a political agenda. Well, I can't stand Biden or I can't stand Trump. What, what does that have to do with anything on being celebrated with your team? It's a tremendous honor to be invited to the White House. Who cares what the guy's politics are? Well, it's Trump and I'm never showing up. You know, LeBron James and all those guys not wanting to go to the White House. I was like this. Oh, I see. So you do business with the Chinese communist government. 
And you think that's cool. They murder their people there. They murder protesters and put people in concentration camps. But you won't honor or be honored by our own country? That's where it fell on deaf ears for me. So I didn't care. I was like, how could you like not want to have your team celebrated? Who cares who the president of the United States is? I mean it, man. I'm not there because you. I'm there because you invited our great accomplishment, and we did something as a unit. Again, politics and sports, they don't mesh here because politics have nothing to do, nothing to do with being looked at in your accomplishment as a great achievement and your country being, okay, rewarded or rewarding you for your great accomplishment in winning a Super Bowl last year. So there'll be some political agendas. Like we'll see at the Olympic Games. Olympic Games and the opening ceremonies, I believe, are Friday. We'll be watching a whole bunch of that crap. I, I completely shove that stuff to the side, man. I don't care what your politi political politics are. You're representing our country, man. I mean, do it with dignity. You know what's great? I tell people this all the time. You know, people try to compare themselves to Muhammad Ali when it comes to being an activist. You know, Muhammad Ali never at any time in his illustrious career ever did anything when it came to protesting inside the boxing arena. Name me one. Never. Ali was an activist outside of his sport. He, 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 he separated it. There's the difference. These other athletes need those platforms. Ali needed just Ali. That shows you the magnitude of who he was. Whether you agree with him or not, I'm not here trying to ask you, well, what do you believe in Ali's politics? I'm not doing that. I'm talking about conviction here. Muhammad Ali never, and by the way, the heavyweight division at that time when Muhammad was doing it, Muhammad Ali, he, he, he was an entity to himself. Never using boxing. And the division was one of the greatest divisions of all time with Frazier and Foreman and all them great fighters. Never once did he protest. These guys today need the NBA, the NFL. You think Kaepernick could stand on his own and anybody would hear him? The only reason we know anything about Colin Kaepernick is because the National Football League gave him that platform. If Colin Kaepernick went out and protested and took a knee in some, some other stupid game, nobody would even know his name. But because these leagues, again, you're not bigger than those leagues, you know, you use those platforms. So, again, the White House stuff, come on, man. President of the United States, and for the record, would I go if Biden invited my team? Of course I'd go. Would I go if Trump invited? Of course I'd go. You're honoring my team. You're honoring, you're honoring our achievement. So I hope there's no stupid stuff when it comes to the president and the Buccaneers tomorrow. And by the way, for the record, Bruce Arians, he is a he, he's a guy who will speak his mind. Okay. I don't believe that Bruce Arians is a Democrat. I believe Bruce Arians is Bruce Arians, and he has his own political agenda. So we'll see. Unlike Big Popovich, who's a bully, um, Bruce Arians is spectacular, and I root for him. All right. So 
The other story that was going around this weekend was Richard Sherman. And Richard Sherman pleaded not guilty in his burg- domestic burglary case. And, and, hey, and for the record, do I think he'll get an opportunity to play this coming year? I do. I'm going to tell you why. You know, he got drunk. It was a horrific scene for his resume and for him, the man. But he brought something up that I brought up last week that's important. That is his health, his mental health. And I said this last week, when I heard that 911 call and I heard his wife and I heard the people that were in that unfortunate circumstances and listening to him, I hope he gets his help. I hope he gets the opportunity to get a chance to rectify a wrong with his family and to get a chance to play again. Everybody has a bad moment, okay? You shouldn't be gauged on a moment like that, especially when you're struggling with mental health. To sit here and just say for what it was, hey, man, domestic burglary. And then I, I saw all the losers on the internet ripping them a new one. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't know if you've ever walked in that guy's shoes. That guy is one of the most revered people and respected guys in the NFL. Players love him. Players revere him. He's a leader. Had a bad moment. Shouldn't be gauged or canceled because you had a bad moment. You see, here's where I'm different. If that guy was anybody else in the conversation of talking, and if you knew anything about that guy's politics, you'd be canceling that guy instead of trying to help that guy. Everyone deserves a second chance and a second opportunity to right a wrong. And Richard Sherman had a bad moment. Okay? Had a bad moment. And I hope he gets all the help that he possibly can because it'd be a shame for us to pass any judgment on a guy like that without knowing all the facts and what he and his family, himself personally, and his journey that he's going through. Remember, I always talk to you about the journey these players are all going on. Well, Richard Sherman right now is in a position right now where he's making that transition because he's on the back nine of his career. And sometimes when you have a come to Jesus conversation and you look in the mirror and you have to do this, we all do it. Some more later down the line because they're just better players. Richard Sherman's looking in that mirror right now going, what am I going to do when I'm done playing football? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? If you think that's an easy transition, it's not. And he's coming to grips with it right now because it's coming to an end. Tom Brady's doing the same thing. Brady's coming to an end, and he knows it's close. He's trying to squeeze that last bit of football and passion and drive. That's why he's always looking to fuel the fire, to keep throwing that wood on the fire. Brady and I say this to you guys, and again, this is all about making that transition once you go from your first love, and that's football, into real life. That ain't that easy, man. I've always said this about Brady. The greatest 1-0 athlete I've ever seen. This guy doesn't care what he did in the past. You know, I heard Giannis say that the other day. People who talk about their past, that's ego. 
And when you're talking about your past all the time, you know, I took a lesson from that. I'm like, you know what? He's right. When you're constantly bringing up things from your past or your records or your resume, and you're constantly bringing that stuff up, that's weakness and it's ego. You've got to be looking through that front window all the time. That's what Tom Brady is. Tom Brady's not a rear view mirror guy. Never looks through the rear view. You know, you'll catch LeBron going, hey, I'm really glad that I passed Kobe or I've done some other thing here. He's always bringing up and always kissing his own ass and always tooting his own horn and always being his own PR rep when it comes to it. You never hear Tom Brady talking about statistics, things he's done. I mean, this guy's even now getting drunk, throwing the Lombardi troll. I mean, it's great. I love this new guy. But Brady's always looking ahead. You know? He's always looking forward, never in the rear view. And now when you're coming down to the final couple holes of your career, you're now having to figure out, what am I going to do? Tom's struggling with that. He doesn't know when to call it. Should he? Absolutely not. He just won a Super Bowl. This guy's a Super Bowl MVP again, right? Richard Sherman's dealing with that. That's some of the things that I'm adding into the Sherman story. Every NFL guy, whether you're Richard Sherman or you're Tom Brady, okay? You, you all struggle with this. You all go through these same emotions, just a different avenue and how you go through it. All right. So we mentioned this a couple minutes ago that the Cowboys are going to be opening up their training camp. Tomorrow, actually, and to start their preparation for the upcoming Hall of Fame game and for the upcoming 2021 season. Let me give you a preview of what I think they're going to be this year. How many people look at the Dallas Cowboys? Now, we're playing an extra ball game this year, right? we got 17 ball games on the table instead of the old traditional 16. Well, let me ask you this. What do you look at the Cowboys? What have they done in the offseason that would make you go like this? Hey, man, that football team, without a question, is going to be one of the absolute best teams in the National Football League this year. They have a great defense, which they don't. Their offense is going to put up a lot of points, which it will. Man, I love Dak, which I do. But isn't it the same group of a year ago? Yeah, but they got, you know... They, they brought a guy in, Dan Quinn, and Dan Quinn's changed the de- – okay, so you have another fundamental change on the defensive side of the football. Really? Okay? You think that's not going to go through some transition? You don't think that that's going to not be an issue then when it comes to whether or not you think you have the personnel for that football team to be successful or not? I would say this to you. Cowboys are probably going to get out of the gate. They're going to put a lot of points up, but they're going to give a lot of points up. They're going to they're going to score a ton, give up a ton. Cowboy games are going to be like 41-40 games until they can rectify that defense. Now, the new scheme may confuse people a little bit, but I think the Cowboys are a 10 and 7 football team. We'll ask Jason Cole, our friend, we'll do that next. We'll get his thoughts. Our NFL Hall of Fame insider, we'll talk to him right here on the National Football Show.
I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back to the National Football Show. Great to be with you. Man, football is right around the corner. Oh, my God. Once we're in a training camp, you know, the rest of these sports, they just die on a vine, don't they? What's the big story in baseball? Oh, yeah, Stephen A. Smith ripping into Shohei Otani. Wow, riveting. Oh, whatever happened to that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Snowflake America. Well, it was Stephen A., so it must be okay. Watch this. Do you see that? Huh? That's Big Seals learning how to edit himself. Oh. Hey, I wonder why. 
period. <laughs> that story went away. All right? What 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 else is a big story? Yankees uh not doing anything. Oh, he starts in New York. He's got it, right? Let's see. Hey, by the way, does anybody know that Bryce Harper plays in Philly? <laughs> yeah. Hey, that was a good sign. I, I, I always love that sign too, man. So Philadelphia, you got Bryce Harper. You know what the Nationals got? A World Series ring. Hey, Don. <laughs> right? Wow, that, that sign looks great. Holy cow, man. Even Pete Rose delivered a World Series. This guy's just delivering whiffs. Does, you know he plays there, right? I mean, even Nolan Arenado makes the All-Star game, and he got traded from Colorado to St. Louis. What's Harper doing, man? I mean, good night almighty. Talk about a dog contract. Paying that guy north of $30 million to do nothing in a soft-ass National League East. Congratulations. So I say. That's why baseball, man, these guaranteed contracts. See the beautiful thing about the NFL? You sign somebody to a gigantic contract, man, they've got rip cords all in those contracts that they can get out and just cut your ass. And they'll put that dead money on a vine like they did in Philly with Wentz, and they'll sit there and they'll eat that thing, and they don't care because now you can defer that money out because the new CBA is team-friendly. You think the NFL is ever going to get caught up in a contract? that they have to eat. You know, there's only one contract right now that that applies to. You know what that is? That's really the um, the Atlanta Falcons right now with that Matt Ryan because if they were to move him or get rid of him, there's still like $63 million of that money that's still owed to him. So they had to bring his ass back in Atlanta. So that's probably pretty much, hey, even the Matthew Stafford money that's out there, they still have money out there on that deal. Jared Goff, too. Wentz, too. I mean, but look at these NFL teams. <laughs> hey, get this. They would rather eat the money than have you on their roster. The roster spot is more important than you. And they'll, they'll eat that cash. It's pretty crazy, man. Really is. All right, we're going to catch up with our friend Jason Cole here in a minute. We'll get Jason's thoughts on all of this stuff as we get ready for NFL training camp. And we'll talk to him here in a couple minutes here. Yeah, you know, the Olympics, I mentioned to you, start up on Friday. I'm such a honk for the Olympics. I really am. You know, I, I, I've always thrown this topic out the week of the Olympics. And, you know, would you rather have a Super Bowl ring or would you rather have an Olympic gold medal representing your country? What do you think would be more of an achievement? Standing there on that podium and representing America and actually in front of the world because the world watches this thing here? Or would you rather have a Super Bowl ring inside a team sport and really an American sport? So, I mean, I, I've always chosen the Olympic gold medal because I think anytime that you get a chance to represent your country, I think that's the greatest achievement on the planet. Stars and Stripes, National Anthem, the whole thing. And I know nowadays because how our culture set up, that people use, and we were just talking about, you know, Biden uh, welcoming the Buccaneers tomorrow for their achievement and how people want to put politics into it. But politics into sports, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense on you've worked your ass off just to make a political statement. Now, look, I've told you this before. The Olympics are such a great moment 
it's such a spectacular moment for our country. I will be watching. I, I watch the dumbest events. I do. I watch all that stuff. And, you know, I, I just am a big time fan of it. Now, with the pandemic being, you know, a backdrop to this, this is going to be an issue, obviously, as we play this thing out here. We'll see how that's going to affect. You're not going to have, I don't think, any fans in the stands from what I'm understanding. So that's really going to look weird. Okay? So I can't wait for this weekend. I do love the opening ceremonies. Let me ask Jason Cole that, too. Is he an Olympic guy like I am here? We bring our friend Jason Cole in here now here on the National Football Show. Jace, thanks for doing this, brother. Hey, are you a um, are you an Olympic fan? No, you don't like the Olympics. Why? Why? Because in this age, you know the results. Uh, you, you know what's happened before they get aired, right? And you can't avoid it. So the drama's gone. Like the whole point of sports is to watch it live. That's happened and see how it unfolds. Well, sorry, but I know. And I can't help but know because I, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time or I'm on whatever it is. So I know the results. So the the, the whole drama is lost. It's not, so it's, it's not their fault. If it if it was here, like if it was in the United States and I could watch it live, that would be okay. But when it's either in Europe or if it's you know, in Asia or, or wherever they put it, um, if it's not in this time zone or one of these, the three time zones, it's just not going to work for me. It's not, and that's just, it's not the Olympics fault. It's just the reality of how you present sports. I never thought of that, Jason. That's a damn good take. And I'll throw this at you too, because they pre-produce most of these spots. NBC puts it together, like you said, and they present it to you as a package live Whereas ABC with Jim McKay, I mean, I remember as a small kid sitting in front of the television, it could be two o'clock in the morning. I'm watching the Munich games or I'm watching the Montreal games as a young kid, you know, and I'm watching all these, all these events live. It was a different sense of how the games were presented then because ABC Uh did it. They did it actuality. You're right, man. I mean, so NBC, you think is taking the drama away from the Olympics. It's not their fault. I mean, they're trying to get the maximum audience, right? And they've spent yeah. a lot of money to do this. So, you know, back when we're talking about in the 70s, you know, or even the early 80s, you know, there, there wasn't that kind of investment that you had to have it on in prime time to max out the dollars. Now, because you pay so much for the rights fees, you have to make sure that you maximize your audience. And I don't blame NBC for that. It's just, for me personally, I don't want to watch a recorded sport event. Like I, I almost never ever. Like I saw if I saw a Super Bowl, I don't really care to watch it again unless I'm studying, looking for something that happened on that play that I didn't see when it was live. Like you go back to the deep pass from Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill in the Super Bowl on the third and fifteen play. Well, I want to look at the nuances of the play. I don't want to watch it because I just want to see him complete a pass. And I want to like slow it down, go almost frame by frame, all those kinds of things that you do when you're a journalist looking at it, looking for something subtle and different. Okay. Or like Trent Dilfer's throw 
to Shannon Sharp in the Baltimore um, Raiders playoff game in 90, what was it, a 91 yarder or something like that went for a touchdown. I watched that play probably 30 or 40 times, but I was doing research mm. on that play to write a story about it as a segment in a book and all this other stuff. So there was a reason for it. Other than that, like, I don't want to watch Super Bowl 25 again. I don't care. It just, it, there's no magic to it for me. Interesting take. I love it too. Love it too. By the way, our friend Jason Cole is a Hall of Fame voter. I'm going to throw three names at you here. Richmond Webb, Duper, okay. Clayton. Any of these guys in your book, Hall of Fame players? Richmond Webb is the closest. Um, Mark Clayton has some reasonable arguments on his part. Duper, um, no. I mean, interesting. Great deep threat, but no. I was at Richmond. Richmond is in that next level. And let me just put, let me back this up a little bit because I had somebody, you know, call me out on Joe Jacoby today uh, on Twitter, which, I, you know, was not really vicious or anything. They're just like, why can he, how can he not be in the Hall of Fame? Well, remember that starting in that 80s era, you're talking about the best era for about a good 25 year period of time. You're talking about the best era in the history of the National Football League for left tackle because the position became so valuable. And, by the way, Anthony Munoz gets drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's the prototype, right? And Anthony Munoz, like, you just draw, don't draw him up any better than that, right? Um, and there's, like, only two or three guys in the history of the league who ever compared physically to Anthony Munoz. Tony Baselli's one of them. Maybe Jonathan Ogden's the other one, right? But that era has, you know, it starts with Munoz. You've got Joe Jacoby there. It ends with Tony Baselli and Willie Rofe and Orlando Pace. Um, you know, like, a lot of great ones. There's, like, six guys who are in the Hall of Fame right there. So you talk about Richmond Webb, it's like, He's right there with those guys, but he's probably just like a quarter to a half step behind all of them in terms of both accomplishment and ability. And it's really close. And I'll just say this. If Richmond Webb had gone to the playoffs on a consistent basis and maybe won a Super Bowl, he probably can, but he didn't. And Joe Jacoby, as many Super Bowls as he helped the Redskins win, he's not in. And that's he's an incredibly accomplished guy. And look, I'm one of those guys who I believe that winning rings is important. Now, it's not the only thing that gets you in the Hall of Fame, but it's an important part of it because the whole point to why people play the game is to win. Like that, that, that is simple to me. And if you won at that kind of level, I value that a lot. Yeah. And when you look at that group, though, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think Russ Grimm. He's the only guy off of that Hogs team that is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then I could flip it on the other side, too, when during that era you're talking about the Montana teams. I mean, there's nobody off that offensive line. I mean, Randy Cross is probably the most accomplished. You could probably throw Harris Spartan into that conversation. But somebody blocked mm -hmm. for those dudes. Somebody blocked for Montana. Somebody blocked for Rice. And not one of those guys off that offensive right. line is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean – they won five Super Bowls with that group and that one guy from the offensive line from those 49ers. They, they, won, wait, wait, wait. they did win. They won five Super Bowls. They did have a lot of different guys. They That's did. The only nine guys, guys. Only nine guys have four rings off that dynasty. 
Right. I mean, it's it, it's they they're they're a it's a great unit. Bob McKittrick as an assistant coach um, deserves a lot of credit, but there wasn't you know like there wasn't at any time one guy who just knocked your socks off who said this is the prototype. Randy Cross and Harris Martin as close as it gets, but you know Bubba Paris, you know yeah no. Wall, Wallace, nah, you know but, but they had a lot of really good players, and that's just the way it goes. In the, in some so, respects, I would say that the Hogs are similar. Yeah. So, Jace, you really look at all these guys. That do you look at some of these guys when you're evaluating for potential Hall of Fame guys? Do you still look at the guys that have not even been considered? You know, you you know my relationship with Gastineau and those guys and guys like Klecko and I've talked to Joe over the weekend. You know, the New York Sack Exchange, another famous line. I talked to Jack Youngblood the other day. It was great to see that the NFL starting to recognize, not officially though, the sack numbers and Jack's sixth right. all time. Um, do do you have when you're looking at potential Hall of Fame guys, guys that aren't in, like Dennis Hare and people like that? Dennis Hare's got seven Pro Bowls. I mean. And he he's got actually more Pro Bowls than Orlando Pace, and he's not in. Yeah, I mean Pro Bowls is a little weird because so many guys now get into the Pro Bowl, so it's become a little bit devalued. But when Dennis Harrow played, he was certainly the Pro Bowl was a high honor, and guys went. Okay, that's, right. that's definitely true. So a little bit different in Dennis Harrow's era. I look at all pros a lot. Like you're always looking at that list when you get that that first list that we get um which is you know around this time of the year it's like 125 to 150 guys were eligible you know some guys you just kind of go okay you know like you can eliminate half the list pretty fast if like that that guy doesn't qualify right but you get down to about 40 or 50 guys and you're like okay let me do my homework on this guy let me do some research on this guy let me let me see how how this guy compares to these other people and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, I take it very very seriously, and it's not a, just a simple whittling down. Like here's the here's the twenty five guys, and there's not even twenty five who deserve it or whether that you know that. Um, you have a long discussion because this is important. It's not a it's not a small thing. Absolutely. Here, let me let me get into some of the questions now, real quick here. Um, you know, I want to ask you a question here, though. Ten years from now, when we look back at the careers of Favre and Rodgers, if you had to pick one guy to win a football game between those two guys, who would you pick? Uh, Rodgers. Makes less mistakes. You think he's the Favre. better quarterback? Oh, yeah. I, only, I really do. I mean, look, physical ability-wise, it's close. Like, And Favre, Favre is as great an arm as anybody can throw off platform and do all those kinds of things. Yeah, just as well as Rodgers, right? But where Favre was, you know, he just he, you know, he's too sloppy. He's, you know, like you were you were just as likely to get five touchdown passes a lot of the time as you were to get three or four interceptions. Absolutely. Just depending on what day, and probably depending on you know how late he was up the night before and how much he had to drink, right? <laughs> now, is Favre a guy who's probably a slightly a guy that? his teammates rallied around a little bit better at the time. Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, they both won one Super Bowl. And if I've got my, if my mortal soul is depending on, I got to win one game. I'm going in with the guy who is going to execute the game plan the way it was designed and do the things that, you know, he needs to do. Like, I'll just say this. 
if Mike Holmgren had coached Aaron Rodgers, you'd probably have three or four Super Bowls. Hmm. Okay. Because Mike Holmgren and Aaron Rodgers would have hit it off. Okay. And Mike Holmgren would have done things to challenge Aaron Rodgers and to get the best of him. And also in, in the process allowed Aaron Rodgers to do more and take greater charge of things once he had earned that right. Right. Far was just, you know, look, he's, this is how he played. And he's going to throw it up there and see what happens. And that worked for him. And I wouldn't want to change the way he plays, but I trust Aaron Rodgers more than Brett Favre. Wow. You think that if Holmgren had coached Rodgers, they'd win three or four more Super Bowls. That's a great take. And I agree because Rodgers is the better player, but maybe the more entertaining player was Favre because, like he said, if five (laughs) touchdowns and three picks and this guy's going to win. You have a friend, Daryl Ledbetter, who covers the Atlanta Falcons. Yes. So I was at a Falcons game one time when Michael Vick was was quarterbacking. He had the greatest quote. Daryl had the greatest quote of all time, right? And he goes, you know, Michael Vick is like going to a James Brown concert. You just don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be fun, right? And not that I've ever been to a James Brown concert, okay? But I I get it, right? And I, I know exactly what he's saying. And to me, Brett Favre has a little bit of that too. It's going to be it's going to be a show, and it's going to be outrageous, and you don't know what you're going to see on a given day. But it also could be a little ugly sometimes. Absolutely. Two last questions for you here, Jason. Were you shocked when you saw for the first time some of the numbers that were coming out of the NFL uh, when it came to what they went through with the pandemic? The Packers, I guess, because of lost local revenue and the money not being able to put people in the stands there, they had a loss last year of $38 million. I mean, I'm wondering, going across the board with all the teams, I mean, boy, the NFL, I mean, I know they get 97% of their operating budget okay. from the okay. television contracts, but, I mean, most of their revenue comes from the TV deal. I think they were all stroked $300 million checks because of TV. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, explain that number to me, okay. $38 okay. million loss. But it also depends on how, what money did you spend in a given year. Right, like on your cap, like everybody thinks. Okay, you spent 180 million dollars in salary um, on the cap. That means you spent 180 million that year. No, not really. <laughs> right. You could you could spend 250 million dollars. It just gets adjusted out over four or five years, right? Right. So some years you're spending more money than in other years, right? Um. So there's a little bit of forensic accounting that I would like to do. And I'm not saying that the Packers didn't lose money and that that's not legitimate and other teams didn't lose money. Okay, they lost money. All right, it happened. But what's the take going to be the next three or four years? And what was the take the three or four years before that, right? Because you don't look at an NFL team or any business, as it were, over one year. You look at a business over 10 years and see, okay, what kind of, what's the profit look like? And here's the other thing. The Packers haven't lost money since 2003. Wow. They're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not going And, and there were a lot of years in there where they were making $45, $50 million. So the fact that they lost, what was it, 33 or $38 million? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's concerning, and you don't want to see that happen very long. I think it's a blip on the radar. 
Michael Irvin said today that if you're an unvaccinated football player, you're not committed to winning. Do you subscribe to this? I think he has a point. Um, I think that um, you got to be all in together on something. That's the that's the nature of sports. Like, hey, we're in this to win this. And I may not like taking a vaccine, but I'm going to do it for the best of my team. I understand that mentality. I would also say that Michael had his own a number of recreational activities that distracted from his own career. So let's not act holier than now completely. But at the end of the day, I will grant this. Michael Irvin was about winning. Okay. And more so than more so than most players. So I'm not, I'll just say this. It's easy to say when you don't have to take the vaccine. It's easy to say when you're removed from it. It's easy to say when you're not in the middle of it, living it. Okay. It's very easy for Michael Irvin to say these kinds of things. He's not necessarily wrong, but he's not 100% right. I would, I would say this. I would have a talk to my guys and say, look, guys, if we're going to do this, we've got to be bought in. Uh, you know, if you guys, if you're going to stand up and say, I can't do this for whatever moral reasons, stand up and say it now and let's all own it together as a group and we'll be behind each other. But don't sit there and say, I'm not going to do that because I'm not part of the group and I'm just here for myself. Like that, that doesn't work in football. I would say this, Jason, if I were in the game today, I would wear a mask and get vaccinated because you know why? I don't care too much to make it a political scene. And that's not high on my agenda to make it so that it's visual politics with the mask and to make it a bitch where if there's dudes in my locker room that are going to feel uncomfortable in any way. And like you said, being together, I don't want that in the room for me, man. I want everybody to be in the room. We're all tugging at the same rope. We're all pulling in the same direction. That's not an agenda that I'm going to sit there and battle. That's not I, That's not something that I – if I'm going to fight for something, I'm not fighting. For, that's, not, that's not something that's well, I'm really – I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not – if I'm part of a group and I'm part of doing something that's 50, 60 guys, yeah, I'm bought in. We got to all be together and we ought to be all on the same page. Or if you're not – Say so and raise your hand. I remember there was a great one, Dan Marino, when the in 1987, when they went on a player strike. Dan Marino said, "Guys, we're going to be going out. If you think you can't do it, if you can't, if you think you're going to cross the line, stand up and say you got to cross the line." And there was one player who stood up and he said, "Guys, I can't afford this. I got to play." All right, back in 1987, the last time the players went on strike, Marino loved that guy forever because he had the guts to stand up and say, "I can't do this." Okay. If you believe you can't put something in your body, stand up and say, it. guys, I'm sorry. I understand we're all coming from, but I can't do this. At least own it, right? But if you're just sitting there and then like oh, you ignore your teammates, yeah, that's that that that's no bueno. That doesn't work in a group. Yeah, I lost forty million dollars on that damn strike. So hey, by the way, I had Carl Mecklenburg on and we were talking yeah. about John Elway. And I brought your book up and I was talking to him. I said, you know, the things that John did by getting that franchise into two Super Bowls, winning one of them, with the conflict that's going on with the Bolin family, I didn't realize, talking to, after Carl told me, that John's had to manage all of that between the family. And from what I'm understanding for the first time, Jason, mm -hmm. it's really been a strain on 
John Elway running that franchise with the conflict of the Boland family wanting to sell that team. So when people look at him, not maybe being as engaged when it comes to the personnel, he's had another fight to deal with, hasn't he? And that's dealing with the oh, family. It's, uh, yeah, it's really, yeah, I didn't get into that a lot because it's, it, it's, it's ugly, yeah. isn't it? Right, because the second wife made it very clear, Annabelle Boland made it very clear um, to the family that one of her daughters was going to be the one or one of her children was going to be the one to run the team, not one of the children from the first marriage. So it's been ugly for a long time, a long, long time of infighting. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Pat had his his brothers and sister um, as partners for a long time, and, you know, it, it's very complicated. You know, the Roonies went through this whole thing too, you know, years ago with the Steelers. Um, sorting out when a, when a property becomes that valuable, it doesn't matter if it's a football team or if it's a construction company, right? It, it, it's hard for everybody to keep focused. I mean, the Spanoses are starting to go through it themselves. You know, now that, that the Spanos parents have both died in the last couple of years, you know, Dean Spanos and his brothers and sister are also dealing with the same kind of infighting. I think it's going to be real quick, Jace. I think it's going to be real quick to see who buys his team. I thought maybe Stan Kroenke would maybe do a transfer like we saw a couple teams do back in the day, but it's a number two market. He's got a brand new stadium. I doubt he ends up doing that because he does own the Nuggets. He owns the Avalanche. He's a really big fixture in that. Oh, it's going to be one of Elway's buddies who buys the team if they sell. You think Elway will be part of that ownership? Oh, absolutely, 100%. 100%. So Elway's going to be owner. Okay, that would be great. Jace, I appreciate it. He himself doesn't have the money to do it, but he's got a lot of buddies that they'll buy into that team. Make sure you get the book, A Relentless Life, written by my friend, Jason Cole, one about about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Jason, it's always great catching up, brother. Love you, man. Thank you. Be good. Talk to you. You got it. Our friend Jason Cole. See, when we had Carl Mecklenburg on, I didn't realize the infighting that was going on, you know, inside the organization. You know, I'd always been throwing this out there about John Elway. John Elway, if you look at his drafts over the last couple of years, you know, you, you see some pretty good players being put on the defensive side of the football, but the inconsistency that we've seen in that organization, I mean, there's been a lot, and that's been because of management, and that's been because of the infighting. The family's trying to sell the football team, but what's being a holdup here is the NFL's like, you got to get your family to first figure out who's going to be the executor, how this is going to go forward. And the Bolin family is still struggling with that. And so is that franchise. They're kind of like in limbo. Real quick also, you know, we're going to talk at the top of the hour about Michael Irvin's comments about if you're unvaccinated, um, you're really not committed to winning. Made, you know, a lot of noise today. And we'll talk about my friend. That'll be at the top of the hour here. But, you know, when, when, you're, when you're talking about, you know, the Packers, what it's been like for them this offseason. Make it very clear to you, man. There's no coincidence that Green Bay struggled at the end of the season last year. And there's no coincidence that still they really, their priorities has to be, there's got to be one guy in that building. 
one dude in that building that makes all decisions, and it's got to be the head coach. Matt LaFleur is not going to be a guy that's going to sit here and, and have the autonomy to go against Mark Murphy, the president of the organization. So this whole Rogers storyline could have been really eradicated by the coach, but you don't have a strong-willed coach in that organization like a Mike Holmgren. I also thought it was pretty interesting on what Jason said about, you know, if Mike Holmgren had Aaron Rodgers, he'd have won more Super Bowls. That those two guys would have been more compatible than, say, Mike McCarthy. See, here's what I always say, what a great coach is. A great coach conforms to the player that you have in front of you. And you don't make that player. Okay, how many times have you been hired by a company? This goes on in radio all the time. Guy has a great career at a particular market. Guy has a great radio show somewhere. Another market hires him or another radio station hires him. First thing the dude gets in the building, you know what they do? They try changing the guy. Hey, maybe if you did it this way, you know, we're going to try to do. No, no, no. You hired that guy. Why would you, as soon as you bring that dude into your room, why would the first thing be to try to put someone else in the room with him, to try to add something different to him, when that guy didn't have any success with any of those suggestions? Now, look, I'm not one of those guys that's not open to listening. But what I am against is you bring someone into your organization. The first thing you want to try to do is change. How many times do we look at a guy, a free agent in football? They draft a guy, they bring him in, and you go like this. This guy just sucked out loud here. How come? Because you weren't really bringing that player in with the things that you saw that made him successful that intrigued you. You thought looking at that football player that you could bring him in and fit him into what you were doing. That's not how it works. This is why, in my opinion, you're seeing more of these college quarterbacks coming from the college game now that are having more success and you're seeing less bust than what we've seen in the past. The old mentality and the old coaches, by the way, that's why this transition on seeing coaches like Brandon Staley and guys like Kevin Stefanski and people like that and all these young-minded guys, these guys aren't buried in their mentality. You know, a coach told me this, and there's no question, and I played for this coach, by the way, and I asked Bobby Ross. You guys probably may not know the name. Bobby Ross was a college football coach, won a national championship at Georgia Tech. He coached me at Maryland my freshman year. Then he went to the San Diego Chargers, and brought that team to the Super Bowl. They got destroyed by the 49ers in that game. But still, Bobby had success. And I asked him, how did you make that transition from the college game? Because it's not the easiest transition to do. Bobby goes, it's easy. I walked in. I realized what we had on the field. And we changed as a staff. I said, that's freaking brilliant. You didn't make the players that you had on the roster change to you. You changed to what you had on the roster. And then as you add your type of people, that transition's going to be a lot more seamless. It's a brilliant way of doing things. People that hire people to change them immediately, man, how many times have you just seen failure? You bring it, look at Matt Rules, he's bringing in Sam Darnold. 
Sam Darnold, again, if if Matt Rule, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, if he's smart, he goes back to what they were doing with Clay Hilton at Southern Cal. And they figure out, okay, this guy's great out of shotgun. Okay. Didn't do a lot of shotgun in New York. Didn't have the personnel to do that. When you saw Sam Darnold getting back in a seven-step drop, didn't you do this? He's kind of athletic, but he's a floater. That's because this guy did the majority of his entire career as a guy taking snaps from the shotgun. Well, if he's more comfortable in shotgun, go shotgun. Why is that so difficult? But coaches don't like to do that because, get this, that's an uncomfortable place to be for coaches because it's an unknown. Coaches don't like to gamble like that. It becomes a hot potato for them. Yeah, you know, I'm not a real big fan on going out of shotgun. You get more out of play action when you're coming out of, you know, having a quarterback that comes out from under center. Well, man, if you if you made a trade for the guy, you brought him in, and then you immediately want to – and I hear Matt Rule's doing a lot more shotgun. All right. So Michael Irvin made a comment today, pretty controversial one. It's going around the internet, and everybody's commenting on it. If you're unvaccinated, you're not committed to winning. What does that mean? We'll do it next. You keep it here on the National Football Show. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to cure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. 
It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com.